if there's a time to do it, it's now. And I had become so passionate about it and so uh, excited and interested about real estate that to me, there was no chance of failure. There was no outcome where I, I would fail. Welcome to the Lessons in Real Estate Show, bringing you information directly from industry leaders in multifamily and commercial real estate. Each week, Anthony Pinto interviews top multifamily experts and digs into the hard lessons learned on their pathways to success. We get real to give you a more holistic picture and help you avoid pitfalls others won't tell you about. He will teach you about raising money, growing your portfolio, and attracting investors to your cause. And now your host, Anthony Pinto. Hey guys, I want to take a second and thank you for listening. This show could not have gotten off the ground if it wasn't for your dedication, continuing support, and constructive feedback. And a special thanks goes out to Whitney Sewell from the Real Estate Syndication Show. He has provided tremendous value in setting up this podcast, and he has a kick-ass podcast to boot. But you're here for the show, so let's get into it. Hey, learners, and welcome to another episode of the Lessons in Real Estate Show. I'm your host, Anthony Tepinto, and today we have a true leader in the multifamily and real estate uh, real estate realm, and overall a great guy, David Tupin. David, welcome to the show. What's up, man? Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. I really appreciate appreciate you coming on here, and I'm glad we were able to make this work. So uh, for those who don't know about David, he is a top millennial real estate investor, speaker, and entrepreneur. He's the co-founder of Obsidian Capital, an uh, Austin, Texas-based real estate investment firm. Uh, started investing when he was 20 years old with a 12-unit apartment building. I'll have him get into that bit, but I, I just want to put that out there because that's amazing to me. Starting at such a young age, you know, much less starting at you know 26 is where I started. Um, you know, in college, you he had a finance degree and eventually moved into full-time real estate with a uh, portfolio of 50 million dollars, raised over 10 million dollars, and is now the uh, creator of the uh, best-selling real estate lab, which is a multifamily deal analyzer. But I'll let him get into that. So, David, again, welcome to the show. I hope that. Uh, you know that intro did you justice that you are as a person in your in your business, but um, tell us a little bit about you outside of that and kind of fill in the gaps because I'm I'm extremely interested to see how your career has progressed because I've you know I've looking through your background on Facebook and seeing what you have done over the past few years and just you know getting to to meet you in person. I don't I don't know if you ever knew that we met in person at uh, Rock Khalif's event in uh, Baltimore last year. You probably met a lot of tons of different people, so. Awesome that that. we got to meet there, though. No, that's great. Yeah, a lot of those events, you know, uh, I love going to. They're good to meet other investors. And so look at us full circle. Now we're on a podcast together. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah. So, David, tell us a little bit more about, you know, where where you got started and then how you got to where you are now and and filling in the gaps there. Absolutely. So uh, I started, I'm 24 now. I started when I was 20 years old in 19, turning 20 uh, in college. I was a junior uh, getting working on getting my finance degree uh, in Michigan. I went to University of Detroit Mercy. Um, and honestly, I was never a huge fan of school. I was never, you know, never wanted to go into the corporate environment. I've always kind of been an, uh, an entrepreneur at heart. And I knew that uh, that was what I really wanted to do. Um, Full time. I wanted to start a business. Wanted to run a business. My first business I started when I was thirteen, a landscaping company. So 
I kind of always had it in me. Um, funny enough, I was doing an internship in uh, investment banking uh, my junior year, and somebody came up to me and said, "Hey, you know, I've been listening to podcasts lately. Do you listen to podcasts?" And I said, "No, what's that?" And this is in 2016 when before they kind of blew up, mm-hmm. and uh, they're like, "Oh, check out the podcast app," and you know, I'm listening to blah, 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 entertainment type of podcast. And uh, so knowing me, I went, I opened up the app. I went straight to the real estate section because real estate was something I was interested in. Mm-hmm. And I found Bigger Pockets. And so listen to that podcast. Uh, I heard one of the first episodes I heard was actually a guy that lived locally in Michigan that was killing it in uh, single family, small commercial, fix and flip, stuff like that. And so for me, that made it real. It was somebody locally was doing it. Um, that means I can do it. And so, uh, long story short, I got out of some of those internships. I had some big job offers. I turned them all down right away and went full time into real estate with no guarantee of, of any type of income coming in. Uh, it's completely on my own. And my goal was to, I wanted, always wanted to do multifamily commercial, but my goal was to work my way up through single family, which later I learned I really didn't even have to do, but spent about six months doing wholesaling and flips. And then, uh, you know, early 2017, I closed on my first two deals at the same time as two twelve units that were about right next to each other. So 24 apartments, um, that was kind of the end of my junior year of college. Wow. So, so well, that's a, a lot to unpack. So let's, let's kind of break that down a little bit. So, um, wow. And you're, you started at 20 years old. That, that is amazing to me. And I, and that is often when I kick myself when I talk about, you know, where my career is progressing. I wish I had started sooner, right? And you started about as soon as you could start for you know, <laughs> for a lot of people. And so, you know, walk me through, you know, the mindset of of a 20-year-old, you know, shifting gears from, hey, I have to go to college after you get a degree, I have to move into a W-2. And that kind of mindset that we're, you know, I, I feel like we're almost bred into, you know, as as a high school, sure. college student. You know, that you do your four years in, in high school, you do your four years in college, you get a degree, and then you go out and do some job for the next 50 years, right? And I feel like that is that is what we are expected to do, right? And it's not very common that you find, you know, people like you who decided to forego that, forego the stability of a W-2 job, you know, a, much less a six-figure banking job, like to move into, uh, you know, a, a space where, um, you didn't necessarily know if you're going to make a lot of money in it, right? Or really find your passion. And it sounds like you did. And I'm happy for you to be able to do that. But, you know, what, what was your mindset and what was going through your head as a 20 year old that kind of, you know, pushed you over the edge to you know, break ties with that W2 job to get into real estate? Yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a, a big decision. It was a tough decision. A lot of people thought I was crazy. Um, <laughs> However, luckily, my parents supported it, uh, and and I knew at the end of the day, I'm coming out of college. I don't have a family yet. I don't have kids. I don't have a mortgage. Um, if there's a time to do it, it's now. And I had become so passionate about it and so uh, excited and interested about real estate that, to me, there was no chance of failure. There was no outcome where I I would fail because I'd seen so many other people people and listen to so many other people that had done it successfully before me. And I didn't care how old they were. Maybe they're twice, most of them are probably twice my age. But to me, there was no chance of failure. And so when you go into something with that mindset, 
I, I think you're unstoppable. You're absolutely unstoppable because uh, if if there are hundreds or thousands of other people that have done it, there's no reason that you can't. And it might take you a little longer. You might be a little faster. Uh, it, it all depends on what actions you take. And yeah, a little bit of luck plays into it. But for me, there was no, I burned the bridge behind me. I mean, I, I, I turned all those job offers down. There was no chance for me that I could fail. Uh, and, and of course I failed a hundred thousand times along the way, which is awesome. And that's part of the process, but, uh, you know, there's no chance that the end outcome I'd, I'd be a failure because I, there's nowhere to go but forward. I freaking love that, man. I love it. No outcome where I could fail that. That is amazing to me to have that, that thought as a 20 year old. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm looking back at what, where I was, you know, as a junior in college and it was all about, um, gosh, what was I doing during that? So that during that time I was about to sign, make one of the biggest decisions of my life. And that was if I was going to sign a commitment to, um, you know, put two more years into school and then do a five-year commitment afterwards in the Navy. And, um, you know, I wasn't thinking about, you know, anything outside of that, right? Anything real estate related, any high side hustles, anything like that. And um, I mean, that's, that's amazing that you had that mindset as a 20 year old who, I mean, and I don't know your life circumstances before that, but who, um, you know, could have been so could have been extremely successful in, in a W2 job. And, and so the learners, if you're listening from, you listen to that, I mean, he took a lot of these limiting beliefs that we have when we get into real estate, especially as, as, you know, new entrepreneurs or new real estate investors, you know, whether that's I'm too young, I'm too old, I don't have enough capital, I don't have enough experience, you know, X, Y, and Z limiting belief. And he just, he took all that and crushed it and said that none of that shit matters. And yeah. I'm just going to go ahead and do it. You made okay. a great point. Yeah, you made a great point. It's lim- it's about limiting beliefs. And from the start, I had limiting beliefs. First one is I have to go get a high paying W2 and then I can go into real estate. There's all these and thens, right? And so uh, uh, I crushed that one early because I had heard a lot of people who hadn't even gone to college or hadn't done a job and they went right into real estate and did it. So for me right away, boom, other people did it. There's no reason I can't do it. Uh, next limiting belief, I have to do single family real estate on a smaller scale before I can grow into multifamily. Another limiting belief. It's, it's BS. It's not true. You don't need to start in single family before going into apartments or multifamily if that's what you want to do. Uh, and so for me, um, when I figured out that, you know, other people were able to do it, uh, there was no obstacle in my head. I knew that it wasn't going to be easy. I was prepared for that. I was already working 80 hours a week doing investment banking. There was, you know, for me, it was an easy switch. I still work to this day. I put in 80 hours a week, plus or minus, every single week. And I work a ton of hours. And that's why I'm able to get ahead of a lot of people that put in half the time. You know, I get there twice as fast. So um, for me, that wasn't an, an obstacle. And for me, I was patient. I was willing to turn down six figures, you know, job offers year one in order. To, I ended up making like $20,000 my first year. I didn't make a lot of money. And I was okay with that because I was playing a long-term game. I knew that in the end, three, four, five years down the road, I'd be making five times what I was making in that job at that point. So uh, for me, it was an accumulation of all these different things and ideas. Uh, I'm a very logical person. To me, it just made sense. Why don't I start this now? Everyone keeps telling me they wish I started when I was your age. I, I wish I started when I was your age. All these mentors and people I've been networking with, they're like, man, if I was your age looking into real estate, I'd be a billionaire by now. And so I was like, I want to be a billionaire. Why don't I just start now? 
And so that's what led me there. And, uh, you know, I'm glad I made the choice because I got into the market at a good time and was able to make some moves that really put me on the map shortly after. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, um, you know, that kind of leads me to, to a thought I've been having when, when I see your Facebook post and I see a lot of the content you're putting out and, um, the one that comes to mind is one where you kind of lay out your timeline from where you got started in like 2016 timeframe and yeah. like almost month by month, month breakdown of like what happened in your, in your career, like the decision you made to get out your, of your W2 job, you know, your first like year of not making a lot of money, your second year of not making a lot of money and just kind of how you developed. And then suddenly you just like hit it. And, you know, I, th- I think a lot of people, and especially me, when I first got started, you know, I saw these, these huge guys that, own you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in real estate and, and you know, thousands of units. And it, you, it's hard to kind of envision yourself at that level because it is just such a massive goal. It's such a massive place to be. And I, what I like is that you kind of break it down, you know, that you weren't successful at the very beginning, right? It's not like you started, you dropped your WT job, you dropped college, and then the next day you walked into making $100,000 a year. Yeah, right, doing real estate you walked totally. into to thousands of units and and i think that's key to to know and to kind of see that path for a lot of people because it's it's hard to kind of to bite you know it's hard to take it's hard to see the elephant and know that you have to finish it but when you have these kind of little bites that you can that you've seen other people take right and and the little steps yep. that they've taken you know incrementally over months and years it really helps to kind of solidify that oh shit like i can do this too Right. Everybody sees the cover, man. Everybody sees where you're at now and they think you're an overnight success. Nobody Mm saw, you know, me pop up until recently. I've had a ton of explosion on social media and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, but, but a lot of them don't know. I lived in my parents' house till I had bought over $7 million in property. I was still living at home with my parents. Oh, wow. And, And I, and I moved out of living in, I was in a fraternity house in college and an apartment thereafter. And I moved home to get away from, you know, uh, friends that I, you know, love, but that weren't contributing or that, you know, it what weren't in the position I want to be in. And I surrounded myself with people that were doing what I wanted to do and mentors and, and new friends that were in real estate. And that leveled me up so quick. So people don't see that stuff. They, they see where you're at now and make assumptions, but yeah, dude, I mean, it, you know, it, uh, there's a path to it and I definitely, I pay, I paid my dues and I still pay my dues in terms of, you know, sacrifices and putting in the work. Absolutely. And, and speaking of sacrifices, I'm glad you used that word because, you know, when, when people think about, you know, people who, I don't, I don't want to get judgmental, but when people think about people who live in like their parents' basement and like, they're not making a lot of money, they, you know, they tend to drift towards like that guy's never going to make anything of the, of his life. Right. And you know, whether that's true or not, whether you're making, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars or, you know, wherever you eventually get to, like what the, the base of it is that you're making sacrifices, right? You know, you, you weren't out partying every night, right? As a, as a 20 year old, when you turn 21, you just want to go drink with your friends all the time and go party and stuff like you were making sacrifices, living with your parents, right? Deciding to give up that life and put in the hustle and the hard work to get it done every day. Right. And then it, I'm, you know, hey, you want to you want to live like nobody else does? You got to live like nobody else does, man. So and that, true. that's the key that what it comes down to is you got to be willing to do what nobody else is willing to do. And I didn't care about whether I look cool or not. I was raising millions of dollars for my bedroom, my childhood bedroom in my parents' house. So 
it's, it's possible. It's like, what are you willing to do to make it happen? What are you willing to do to get there? Um, you know, I worked my way out of a relationship that I had in college because I was working too much. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, I was 20, 21 years old and I was okay with me. I, you know, wasn't interested in, uh, making a serious commitment there at that time anyways. Um, but you know, that's another sacrifice I made. And at the end of the day, what it comes down to is how bad you want it and what are you willing to do to make it happen? And I'm not saying end your relationship. I'm not saying that at all, but everyone's got their own battles and their own sacrifices and their own burdens. And you have to make a decision at this point right now, because why wait another year? Why wait another week? Why wait another month? I don't care if coronavirus is going crazy. I don't care if the economy is tanked. Like there's always opportunity at every point, at every stage of life, any stage in the market. And the only decision you have to make is, are you going to wait another day? or Are you going to get started now? And for me, I was ready. I wasn't going to wait. And I didn't. Absolutely, man. Yeah, that's freaking amazing, right? And um, and, and to your point, Amy, you, you kind of brought this up a little bit. And I've heard this from a lot of different people, right? Everyone says, like, you're a, you know, a, a, um, a take of the five different people you surround yourself with, right? And I feel 100%. like that is, that is very true, especially when I look at, you know, what, how I've kind of incrementally, you know, started when I was 20 years old to now, right? And the friends I've surrounded myself with at 20 years old and now, and, um, and, and I know you kind of talked about this is you, you kind of have to sacrifice friends as well, right? You really have to, to surround yourself with people who, who are going to support what you're doing, right? No matter what the end result is, right? And, and I feel like, I feel like a lot of people get started in their, their flames are snuffed before it even gets going because they get told like, Oh, they get told these limiting beliefs, right? They get told, you know, you can't do it because X, Y, and Z. And then they get that in their head. And the next thing I know, like they don't pursue their true passions. Right. And that is something that is, that is very hard to do. Right. I I've had to, you know, cut ties with a, of a few different people. Some people I've known for years because they just, they don't understand what we're doing here. Right. Or, you know, what, what I'm doing with the real estate. They don't get it. Yeah. Right? They don't get it. And, 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 and you have it, to, it is, you have to make that choice. Yeah, exactly. And I think that, that is part of the sacrifice too. You know, it's, it's more than just, you know, cutting out drinking and partying and all that stuff. It's, it's, it's understanding the end goal state, right. And understanding who is going to be there to, to the end with me. Right. And, um, sometimes that requires, you know, cutting, cutting relationships, right. Sometimes it requires, um, you know, a long, cutting a long-term relationship to see the end goal state of being successful, right. Pursuing your true passion, realizing your, you know, I'm, whether you believe in higher power or not, realizing your destiny, right, and and making it happen, and um, and, and that's hard, right? It it's, it's freaking hard, hard, man. It's not easy. It it is really not easy. I mean, I had, I mean, I had uh, just days where it's like you just feel absolutely crushed in this emotional roller coaster of ups and downs and lefts and rights, and it's like, man, am I gonna have enough money to live another month, or am I gonna? You know, I mean, there's a lot that goes into starting a business and being an entrepreneur. You're on your own, dude. There's nobody paying your paycheck, which honestly, to me, is less scary than having a paycheck because when I've got a paycheck, I'm not the one in control of it. It's your employer. First of all, limiting how much you're you're making. Second of all, deciding whether you're going to continue making that based on what's going on. A lot of people right now are seeing that, uh, you know, we're in March mid-March 2020 and there's a coronavirus outbreak which is 
changing drastically what we're seeing right now in a lot of markets. I mean, whether people believe it or not, it's mm-hmm. a real deal. And there are, you know, uh, I, I just saw um, entire cities rest- shutting down for, you know, two plus weeks, restaurants and bars, entertainment. I mean, they canceled South by Southwest, one of the biggest events in uh, all of Austin annually that brings in a billion dollars plus in local revenue, uh, sports uh, games and events. I mean, a lot of impact. And so, are you going to put your, uh, are you, you know, are you going to put your livelihood in somebody else's hands or are you going to take it into your own? And I was going to take it into my own hands, whether I made more or less. First of all, I loved it. And so I don't care if I make less. I love it. I enjoy doing it. So if I, even if I make less than I would otherwise, I still, I still am happier with myself personally and I feel more fulfilled. I'm not going to make less because that's part of, you know, another one of my goals. I'm definitely not going to make less. So you've got both there. And then I'm not going to put it in somebody else's hands. You know, it's, it's on me and I feel safer when it's on me. I know how to make money. I'm mm-hmm. good at it on my own. So that's my thought. Yeah. So, and, and I think that's a really good point because I think a lot of people see, you know, um, entrepreneurs as, as very risky, right. And um, you know, what, what is the end goal of that? And they try to see, okay, you know, what, what am I trying to get to? And is it going to be easy? Right. And then on the other end, you don't talk about, you know, what you have to do to get to that point. And then, um, you know, I, I think that talking about a W2 job is it gives a lot of entrepreneurs fears, right. You know, and it, and it's constantly in the back of my head. Like, you know, I still have three years left here in the Navy before I get out and do real estate full time. But for people who quit their jobs and go do real estate, right. It's real. This shit's real now, right? You start at, you have to really, you have to make money, right? You have to do what you need to do to acquire properties, get income, you know, do all that. Yeah. It's scary. It's, it's cutting the tether right to that W2 job, but yeah. Yeah. Not everyone should do it right away. Right. Not everyone Mm -hmm. should quit their job and go, it's not for everyone to do that. Right. Everyone is different and has different comfort zones and has different abilities. And I know there are a lot of people out there that could be very successful uh but you know knowing their personality it might take them two or three times longer to achieve the same level of success so um some you know a lot of people that you see so you have a full-time job i think it's smart to take your time do it on the side build up a base of knowledge go get your first property uh first uh, asset acquired uh and or whatever it may be, and then take your time or or build up enough passive income on the side through your w two income investments that maybe it replaces that income or a portion of it, and then you're more comfortable moving into it. Tons of different ways to do it. You definitely don't have to take the route I did. Most people won't. Uh, I'm definitely it's definitely a rare case. Uh, and um, a lot of people uh, probably wouldn't succeed in that scenario and 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 I'm not saying um, um, I'm special in the way that I made it work. There are a lot of there are a lot of times where something could have happened differently and I wouldn't have succeeded in the end, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if I the first couple of properties I bought, at that point I didn't have enough capital where if something went really wrong with them, I'd be able to support it. You know, I wasn't at that point. So I was very conservative luckily and everything went well, but things could have gone differently. So there are risks. There are big risks. It's comes back down dude how, how bad do you want it what do you want what are you willing to risk absolutely and i think you know ultimately what i'm kind of hearing from what you're saying here is that it, it comes down to control right and i think as a new entrepreneur in in, in whether whatever business you decide to get into whether it's real estate or not 
you know, being a new entrepreneur comes out of control, right? How much control do you want to have of your life, right? How much control do you want to have of your finances, right? Some people are content to just leave their money in the stock market and just weather through these roller coaster rides that we're having, <laughs> right? Because they know eventually, you know, they'll have X, Y, and Z amount of money into their fund, right? And they'll be able to get out at 50, you know, And that's the crazy old. thing. And that's the crazy thing. You don't know. You don't know what's going to happen with that. You can't assume just because it's happened in the last 50 years, it's going to happen in the next 50 years. Mm -hmm. Things can change every day. We just saw the Dow drop 27% in in a week. I mean, that doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. I mean, yeah, real estate has its own risks, but I invest in cash flowing, stabilized multifamily assets. We add value to them. We improve them. We, Mm -hmm. We reduce the loan to value. We don't over leverage them. And they cash flow and they can weather storms. I can drop 25% occupancy, still make my mortgage payments, still be safe. Uh, you know, I can control it. I can touch it. I can see it. I can feel it. Stocks, it's fugazi. I mean, you know, it's, it's, sure. it's up in the air. It's, it's emotion-based. It's supply and demand-based. And, mm-hmm. and it's consumer confidence-based. And if that, you know, a lot of the companies where the stocks plummeted 20 30% overnight, they're still making the same amount of money, but the stocks are down. To me, that doesn't make sense. So I don't put I don't put money in the stuff that I don't I have any sort of control over. And not that I have full control over real estate, but I have more control than stocks, for sure. Oh, especially in, in multifamily real estate and commercial real estate. I mean, the forced appreciation part of it alone gives you so much control over what you can do, right? You know, yeah. You can you can put in a million dollars worth of renovations or you know five million dollars worth of renovations, right? And and how much you put into it directly affects what the price or the cash flowing, you know, uh, income that you're going to get from that property, right? With with I mean, but yeah, with exactly with stocks, like, and I constantly tell this to people when they were like, oh, why don't you put all your money into stocks? You could be doing great right now when it's up like twenty percent for the year. But it's just like okay, like it's, like, me, uh, it's down now. <laughs> it's like right. you see all that got wiped out overnight. Exactly. Right. And yeah. And I just saw that. I, I just, um, it's, it's what end of the day here back in the United States and it's, you know, middle of the night. What's the Dow at right now? Is that 20, is that 21,000? Yeah, it's, it's under 21,000 now is what I yeah. just saw. And, go. um, and, and, and I was, everyone was happy. It was like, Oh man, a shot of 1900 points on Friday, right before the closing bell. It's like, okay, great. But what's Crazy. it going to look like on Monday? Like, like Crazy. no one freaking knows. I don't, I don't trust it, dude. I don't trust it. I mean, uh, I, I, I don't believe that it's a safe place to put your money. I obviously it's been proven that you can make money in it and it's it's a decent way to grow wealth over time. Um, but I prefer ways that I have a little bit more control. Um, I am going to be doing distribution star investors in three weeks from now. And we have made enough cash flow this quarter that we're are going to give an even bigger distribution the last quarter, regardless of all the craziness that's happening. Uh, we're in diversified enough areas and our tenants, tenant bases are diversified enough to where it's not one industry that coronavirus could influence that's going to take out half of our tenant base. So we've invested in smart properties that way. Uh, and we're protected in a lot of different, in a lot of different areas, right? Um, even, you know, you put $50,000 in the stock market a week ago, now it would be, you know, 37,000 or 35,000. Mm-hmm. Um, if you put 50,000 into a deal with us, you know, it's going to stay at 50,000, right? We're not selling the asset. We're holding it for cash flow right now. So, uh, and we have the ability to wait until we're at a point in the market where we can sell and make a good profit. We don't have to sell right now. Uh, and in the meantime, we're still cash flowing. So 
and we're still paying the mortgage down every month. Every month our debt goes down. So it's a it's a great it's a great investment. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Thank you for putting that out there. Good a great plug. I love it. I love it. So um I mean so I want to kind of step back into something you talked about earlier because I know you have your finance background and you obviously have your ear to the ground uh, with what's going on in America more so than I more so than I do, you know, halfway around. Well, the you're in Japan, yeah. Right. <laughs> so, so tell me about where you think where do you think the market well, okay, how should I frame this? How do you see this affecting real estate investing in you know for the coming months, right? So as a as a multifamily investor, right, we we have a, a natural stability within these properties, right? And in, in you know in the 2008, 2009 timeframe, like a lot of those properties just kept on doing the same thing they were doing, right? There wasn't a lot of of, of instability, volatility in those, you know, the number of tenants you know, dropping out or the properties defaulting. So how do you see this, you know, this coronavirus um, issue, if you want to call it that, affecting multifamily investors? And what's your advice for those who own properties right now or maybe in the process of about to start a reposition on a property and what they should do to kind of hedge their bets against this? Yeah, so I think there's two parts to that. There are uh, There's existing properties, existing owners, what are the impact and effects on them? And then what is the impact for new acquisitions people that are looking to sell properties, people that are looking to buy properties. Uh, so I'll, I'll give my opinion. Um, however popular or unpopular it may be, I'll just give it to you straight. Uh, and you heard it here first. So there is going to be a significant amount. I, I believe that although what I said about multifamily was true before, I think it's, I think it's true if you invest with the right people and if you buy the right properties. Uh, there is no no doubt in my mind that there will be a huge real estate impact for existing owners, regardless of whether it's multifamily or not. Now, I don't think multifamily will be impacted as bad as something like retail or office. But when you go into an environment where schools are shutting down, everyone's working remotely. Imagine if that if that went on for several months, people social distancing, people not going out and about and going to these entertainment facilities who you know if if a whole sports team goes for an entire year without any games played how are they making their revenue you know maybe their revenue drops by 80 percent. i don't know who, who owns these sports arenas right uh, i mean obviously most of them are multi-billionaire uh team <laughs> owners and, and they're very successful but mm-hmm. okay take your local retail restaurants and bars if those are closed and and they are mandated to be closed by the government they could go out of business. How are they affording to pay their lease? I mean, some, you know, especially if they're not large chains, they could be living paycheck to paycheck, paying their lease to their, uh, their retail space owner. And so uh, that will trickle effect up to the owner of the property. Uh, and there are going to be issues, potentially foreclosures. Um, in terms of multifamily, how is that affected? Well, all the people that work at these establishments they don't get paid for two, three, four weeks. They're not going to pay their rent this month. You may have a rent uh, a month where your delinquency uh, is 50%, you know, depending on where you're at and who your tenants are. So if you have tenants that are all working at, in these industries uh, or you're in tertiary markets where maybe that's the only industry, you could see a huge negative impact uh, over the, the coming months. What I think is going to happen is because of the past two to three years, and this is lengthy, but I think it's an important important point to make. Uh, Because of the past two years, we've seen so many people pay significant prices and super low cap rates for multifamily. It's been a hot asset class. Mm -hmm. And people, without a doubt, in my mind, uh, significantly overpaid for properties where 
I'm bidding lower and oh, time and time again, we're getting overbid and, and I'm okay with that, right? Because now I'm in a position where I'm really happy, even though the market's tanking. Mm-hmm. A lot of people are sweating bullets because they overpaid. Tenants could leave the property or go a month or two without paying rent. They're going to get behind on that uh, because they're not working because of these businesses being shut down. And uh, owners are going to be dipping into their reserve funds to cover their mortgage or their reserve funds to cover operations. What happens if they don't have that? or if they've already dipped into that before, uh, then they're going to go into pre-foreclosure. And if the trend continues, uh, they're going to get foreclosed on. So I'm predicting in three to six months, we're going to see a pretty significant amount of foreclosures. It's going to be a little delayed, uh, but I think they'll double from where we're at right now, um, if not triple or quadruple. And uh, you know, obviously that just brings opportunity for the rest of us, but it's unfortunate for those owners. Uh, the other side is acquisition. How can we be impacted on the acquisition side of our business? Uh, and to me, the only way, there's two ways, especially if you're syndicating like we are, uh, it's raising capital and it is uh, financing, bank financing and debt and lending. So, you know, times are uneasy. People might be less likely to invest. If you're under contract or trying to buy a deal and you can't raise capital from investors because of that, that's a huge negative impact. And really the biggest thing that, worries me now that I'm uncertain of is are banks going to continue lending? Um, I uh, keep very close track of this. And right now, there's no doubt in my mind that Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, the two of the biggest lenders, agency lenders, uh, and HUD will continue lending through good and bad economic times. Now, what they might do is get a lot more conservative and be a lot more picky on who they lend to. Uh, However, I think that, you know, they are going to start being a, they're a little more conservative and picky about that kind of stuff. What properties, what areas do they lend to? They could easily say, hey, hey, we're not doing any more tertiary markets and you're screwed if that's the type of product that you like buying. Um, you know, They could drop their loan to value caps. They could say, if your tenant base consists of X amount of service industry jobs, we, don't, we won't lend to you. I mean, all those kind of things are very possible. Um, interest rates are still extremely low. Obviously, the Fed just dropped to zero. Uh, to 25 basis points, you know, very, very low, uh, which is absolutely insane. Um, But what uh, Fannie and Fred are doing is actually they've increased their spreads over that for their locked in rates and they've put a floor on the Fed. So they said, I don't care how low the Fed drops. Our floor is here and we have increased our spreads. So although interest rates should be like 3% right now for apartments, they're still around 4% because of these larger spreads that Fannie Mae is building in. So uh, if lending stops, though, if Fannie Mae says, hey, we're closing up our doors for a month or two, or we're not lending right now because we're, we don't know what's going on in this current climate, which, by the way, I don't think will happen, but anything's possible. That could be huge for people that are under contract and deals trying to buy and you have earnest money deposits that are non-refundable, et cetera. So mm-hmm. those are ways I think that this could pose challenges to us. Um, and I think there are going to be challenges. Now, I'm still buying. I'm about to go under contract on a property today and I still feel really good about it. So, um, you know, I went in with conservative underwriting um, and, and even if the banks lend a little less, we're going to be okay. So I feel good. Okay. There you guys heard it from David Chupin. He feels good. He's still buying. He should buy too. It sounds like <laughs> you should buy no, right. I mean, that, that is um, that that's, that's really good advice because I feel like a lot of people are very uncertain in this time, right? And and I think that we do need a, a bunch of stability, right? But at the same time, we need to hedge 
you know, we need to prepare for what the, could eventually happen, right? You know, three to six months of, of this really kind of affecting, um, you know, not only tenants, right, but the economy as a whole, right, and, and lending requirements. And yeah, I mean, there's just, there's a lot of uncertainty. And I think it's good to hear from someone who's still doing deals, right, still being successful, still, you know, pushing forward during this time. So I appreciate your, your words on that. Uh, for totally. sure. So, all right, David, well, we're going to get into the uh, snapshot around here as we in, get towards the uh, end of this you know, interview here. So are you ready for it? I'm ready, man. Awesome. Here we go. All ahead, plank, cavitate, snapshot, tube, tube. First question. All right, David, what is your number one failure in real estate? So number one failure, single failure, I would say is I had a deal that was about to go on a contract a couple months ago. It would have been huge for us and a great deal for our investors. Uh, however, like a day before we went under contract, it fell through. Uh, somebody else got into the seller's ear, told her she could get more for the property. She backed out. She kind of wanted to wait and find another 1031 to put the money into. And so moral of the story is work towards a contract quickly. Time kills deals. You have a good property, get it locked up. Don't fight over the little BS terms. Just get it done. Yeah, I, I, and I think that's a really good point, especially in this market now. Is there's, I mean, if you're looking at it, there's chances are that there's five, ten other people also looking at it, right? That may or may not have more resources to bear to get that deal done quicker. You know, with more money, right? You know, better. I, I mean, just I Correct. think, yeah, I think time is of the essence, especially in this in this market for sure. So I think that's time kills deals, man. I, I like that. All right. Uh, second question here. What is the number one thing that has contributed to your success? Hard work, hustle, dude. I mean, I work a lot. If you aren't willing to put in the time, uh, it's going to take a lot longer or you may never see it. You've got to be willing to, to put in the work. Hustle. Hustle. Love it. All right. What is one nugget of investing knowledge you want to give us? Stick to your guns. Don't buy into the hype. Just because other people are overpaying for properties doesn't mean you should. The numbers don't lie. If, if, if you're not seeing good returns and it's not making sense, that does not mean the other person that's paying way more than you makes sense. They could have a bad model. They could have uh, uh, just unlimited funds. I mean, they might not care about the returns. It doesn't mean that you're, you know, a lot of people are getting overbid recently. That's why I say this. It does not mean you're wrong. You are right and they are wrong. Stick to your guns, stick to the numbers. Uh, the numbers don't lie. Okay. Love it. And I think I, I would add on to that too, because it made me think of this is it doesn't matter what the brokers say, right? I've, yeah, I've no, been in- obviously. Yeah, I put in, sure. well, I, w- I would say that be not performer wise, but I put in offers that I have been laughed at. Right. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, am I an idiot? Like, what if this broker never talks to me again? It's like, it doesn't matter. Like these brokers, doesn't are trying matter. To get, it, they're trying to get the top dollar. Right. So they know it's a bad deal. A lot of times they know it's not a yeah. great deal, but they know there's somebody out there willing to pay for it. And so mm-hmm. they're obviously doing their job and they're going to try and get the most money for it. But I know brokers, they're, they're shoveling deals that aren't good and they know it. And they'll, but they'll still, they'll still argue for it, you know, because that's their job. They'll, they'll still tell you it's a good deal, but, um, you know, they know. Yeah. I would say that if, you're inv- if your broker is also an investor and they're offering you the deal, there's something that they didn't like about it that they didn't take it themselves. So that's always in the back of my mind when brokers send me deals and I know that they're investors. It's like, okay, do you like, why did you not jump on this, right? Why is this a great deal for me, but not for you? 
Well, a lot of brokers, they, they don't do that just because it's a conflict and they don't want, they don't want people to know them as like, they don't want that thought to be out there for that exact reason. So most brokers don't and they will passively invest in deals. But, uh, you know, if, if you don't know the broker very well, why hasn't it sold already to someone you do know that's maybe more qualified? That, that's a good question to ask. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But, All right. And the last question here is, David, what is your dream? Dude, my dream is to impact a lot of people uh, positively. I want to change people's perceptions. I want to change people's minds around what they can and can't do. Uh, I am living proof that anything is possible. Uh, I'm nothing special. I just put in the hard work, right timing, got myself around the right people. Uh, if I could do it, anyone can. And so I want to create a positive impact. And that's why I'm really active on social media. And secondly, I do want to give back to people that are a lot less fortunate. I feel like I'm blessed beyond belief. So, um, you know, there are a lot of people out there that aren't. And, uh, you know, if you have the ability to help, you have the responsibility to help. So that's part of my purpose. I love it, man. I love it. That impacting as many people as possible. I think that that's a, a true goal to have in life, you know, is, is adding value, right? Because it's ultimately, it, you're not taking your money with you. You're not taking your units with you, right? It's the impact that you make on people and your legacy that truly matters in the end, right? When you end up dying. So um, I think that's a, I think that's a great point. So. Awesome, David. Well, I've had a blast listening to you talk and I've been wanting to have you on here for a while. And so I'm, I'm glad I kind of just took the step and reached out to you, you know, and have you on here because this has been amazing, you know, hearing your story, hearing your, your take on what's happening in the United States right now, right? Because I, I, lo- I love hearing the, how, what people, what people are saying back in the States because it's, it's completely not like that here. Right? What's it like, like there? What's it like right now in Japan? Because you're Japanese close to, are- you're close to China. You, people would think like, oh man, yeah, and we we uh, we were actually one of the biggest countries, right? When all this happened, that had a lot of of uh, infected, right? We had the the cruise ship still here, the Diamond Princess, I think, that had like you know a hundred or two hundred people that got sick, and it was quarantined. That was a huge deal, right? That's that's maybe is like, it open again or is it still going? It's still there, right? I think all the people are off now, right? But that's still it's still here, right? They're still cleaning it, right? But that's like you know fifteen miles away, maybe at best. Right. But people aren't freaking out here. Right. People aren't worrying about it. And I think it's it's probably more of a culture thing when the Japanese people hear, hey, don't you know, don't go outside. Don't go, you know, to you know, be around people who are infected, you know, wash your hands like the Japanese people tend to listen to their government. And I think that that's not happening in the United States. And I, you know, I, I, all the stuff I see in social media. It might media, be media, too. I mean, the media is probably yeah. a little bit more controlled than Japan, right? And I know China, right. the media is definitely controlled. So Absolutely. Um, the media is off the hinges here, and it scares mm-hmm. a lot of people. So uh, not that it's not important to bring seriousness to the matter, because the more seriously we take it, the quicker we can end it. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, you know, in, in general, the virus isn't as bad as a lot of people are led to believe. But um, the quicker we take it seriously and dig action, the slower it'll, the faster it'll go away. Yeah, completely agree. And uh, we saw toilet paper here, so I'm not freaking out too much yet. <laughs> we do. We're fresh out, man. Every single store is out. But uh, I think, you know, you got to time. You got to go every day to see if they get restocked. They're out everywhere. That's so, crazy. crazy. That's crazy. It is crazy. All right, man. Well, David, well, I appreciate your, your talk here and appreciate you having on the show. This has been a tremendous value, not only to me, but to the learners as well. And I look forward to this uh, hitting the waves and uh, having the listeners listen to this for sure. Thanks, boss. I appreciate your time. It was good Absolutely. chatting with you. Yeah, you as well. I hope you have a great day. Before you go, I want to be real for a second. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a five-star rating and review. It goes a long way to promoting the show and continuing to bring you great content from stellar guests. 
I read every rating and it helps me to develop the best practices, give you the best possible version of me and the show. If you have comments, recommended topics, or guests, uh, reach out to me at anthony at pintocapitalinvestments.com and let's connect. Now, if you're interested in investing with us or learning more about what we do, check out our website at pintocapitalinvestments.com to set up a free call where we can chat about your goals, your aspirations, financial dreams, or whatever you want to talk about. But that's all I have, folks. I'll catch you next time on the Lessons of Real Estate Show.